Hi, everyone. Welcome to the April 2nd, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Immigration issues in Colorado made local and national headlines this week. The Defense Department is considering Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs as a potential site to house unaccompanied underage migrants currently at the Mexican border. Meanwhile, Colorado lawmakers passed a bill that would grant housing assistance benefits to anyone, regardless of immigration status, with supporters of the bill believing that Colorado to be the very first state in the country to do so. Pat Cahoon from Westward, we start with you. How significant is this housing benefits change? Well, it's significant if you are an immigrant who doesn't want, who doesn't qualify otherwise. I mean, you've it's really, really tricky if you're an immigrant here. I know we, that's not the only thing that came up at the legis- legislature this week. We are no longer allowed to say illegal in a law. I think there's only one example of that. But the other thing that was passed, at least through one House committee to another, is setting up a legal defense because in immigration court, you are not entitled to a defense. And many of the people who go into immigration court don't have any attorney there. And they resp- And often they are in this country for a very, very good reason, a refugee. Uh, family issue. And if they don't have a lawyer there, they might very well be deported. So that was another good move. As we're seeing coming through the border right now, not everyone is coming because they're a refugee. I don't even think we get to find out why so many people are coming, except we should have known this was probably going to happen. Peterson Air Force Base is the least of the places being named. I just heard they might open up some places in Montana, which should certainly be a surprise to people who are coming up from Mexico to suddenly wind up in the wilds of Montana. But it is really a challenge. I hope this government, for the children they do bring in, they keep track of them. They make sure they can put them with relatives in this country because the fact that we still have some children who came over earlier not separated from their family is really a disgrace. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, it's a pretty significant change that the Colorado legislature has passed with the housing benefits. Do you think that might be um, ripe for a legal challenge? Um, probably not. And, and on the, Patty's point about uh, representation in immigration courts, that's a benefit you can give people without taking something away from someone else. You know, the, the lawyer who's helping a, a person in, in deportation proceedings is not being taken away from some other person who needs a lawyer. The housing thing is different. There is a finite supply of public housing, and the legislature has said, if you're in this country illegally uh, and your, your entry might itself have been a crime, then you get housing at taxpayer expense ahead of American citizens and ahead of, and ahead of legal uh, immigrants. Milton Friedman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, said that the correct libertarian immigration policy is open borders. But he said that's in a libertarian state. If you're in a welfare state, you can't do that because then everyone will come. The traditional immigration policy is come here if you are able to be to support yourself and not have to live at the taxpayer's expense. This is the opposite. This is saying you can't support yourself, come here, and the existing taxpayers here are going to pay for your living expenses. Joining us remotely, Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. It's great, as always, to have you back, Joey. Uh, You are our reporter at the Capitol. What was the response to this bill, and what's been the murmurs back and forth that you've heard? Well, you know, it's no surprise. There's a lot going on at the Capitol, and I don't think that's an accident right now. There's just so many places 
that the public can put their attention. So I, I don't think this is an accident that all these things are happening at once. But, you know, we have a lot of high-minded and deep-thinking people on this panel, and I'm not one of them. I'm a real... <laughs> The reality is, is that elections have consequences, and we're a blue state now. So, folks, if you don't like it, tough luck. Get over it. My advice to you is to start winning elections. You know, and I, I just got to tell you, you know, if there's an undocumented person, a refugee at Peterson Air Force, Air Force Base, it doesn't really make my life better or worse. And it certainly doesn't fire me up enough to stake my soul on it. So I, I, I urge people to be cautious about where they put their outrage. You know, I've sensed the last couple of months, people are tired of being mad. And I hope that I'm right about that. But, you know, this is an issue. They'll tell me if I'm wrong. I, Joy, I imagine that people will not hesitate to let you know if you're wrong, but I uh, loved your point. About it. And I do think you are one of the high-minded folks in this panel. Rounding out the panel, join us remotely. Krista Kafer, another high-minded person, columnist from the Denver Post. Krista, as you look at this plan from the Defense Department, possibly using Peterson Air Force Base, do you think that is a, a good idea to try to spread this out across different parts of the country? Yeah, I always get a good laugh if Joe is on the panel. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not tired of being mad. I'm. I'm actually mad at being tired because it's allergy season and I'm quite tired. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know. I think. I guess any any place to house these refugees is is any place to house these refugees. A lot of these folks are coming here to work, and you know what? I get that. My great grandparents came here about a century ago to to work, um, and they did. They they farmed. My great grandmother was a, a cook and a housekeeper in town. In addition to the farming, anything to support themselves. And eventually, they're twelve kids, and they did support them. And so, I guess I have a little bit of an issue of people coming here not prepared to to support themselves. If I can't imagine going to another country, Canada, Germany, anywhere, and saying, "Hey, I, I'm you know I, I I can't wait for you guys to support me." People do need to work. And I also think legislation like this communicates to people that it doesn't really matter how you come to the country, that there are really no rules. You can get cut in line if you want to. You can still get welfare. You can come legally, illegally, doesn't matter. You can come here and get whatever you want. I'm not sure that's what we want to be communicating right now. I don't know if that's what we want to ever be communicating. Today marks the first day that any adult in Colorado is eligible to receive the COVID vaccine. And while eligibility is wide open, vaccine appointments remain elusive for many. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock announced that he does not expect the mask mandate to end in Denver before the end of May. And meanwhile, Summit County officials are pushing back against warnings from the state health department that the county may be moved to level orange if incidence numbers do not drop. Did we start with you on this one when... We hear from Mayor Hancock that uh, the city mandate in Denver might be different than what Governor Polis might change in April. Are we headed towards a hodgepodge of policies, depending what city you're driving in, of what kind of mask mandate or other rules might apply? Well, sure, and that, that's the point of having not everything be uniform and, and centralized. Denver is, is a denser community than a lot of rural counties, so it, it's, it's perfectly sensible that they could, they could have different policies. We've been in, in a, a race against time, as you've been hearing about the, the uh, virus mutations, uh, you know, Brazil, South Africa, and so on, some of which uh, sp spread even faster than uh, the, the classic uh, virus that uh, the Chinese communist government deliberately spread worldwide by telling people from Wuhan, you can't go anywhere in China 
but you can go anywhere in the world. When you unleash a global pandemic intentionally like that, you also have the foreseeable consequences of mutations uh, becoming even even deadlier. The, the good thing is we've got 100 million people vaccinated in this country already, and so at least in the United States, we, we seem to be, to be winning that race. Um, as we make progress, I think you'll see a lot of people in government who were so happy with all this unilateral dictatorial powers they took uh, during the pandemic. They will be very reluctant to give that up. You can, you can expect a continuing crisis uh, for a long time to come as a pretext for uh, more uh, authoritarian controls. And, David, just to, as a, a follow-up there, I just want to make yes. clear with the, the various anti-Asian-American um, crimes we've yeah. seen that the, claim, the, the point you're making is about the Chinese Communist Party. I just oh, want to make that clear. Oh, absolutely. The, the, okay. the Asian-Americans Asian and, and Asians in China, they're the biggest victims of it. The Chinese Communist Party killed 86 million people, Chinese, uh, Chinese people. Uh, yeah, it's, it's absurd to blame a Chinese citizen for the, the evil of the, uh, the government they didn't elect. Just wanted to double check there. Uh, Joey, let's go to you for this next point. As you're looking at the state uh, rollout, how do you think the vaccine rollout is going? Does more need to get done? Uh, I tell you, this rollout, it's just about like everything the government does. You know, it'd be to call it a clown show would be an insult to clowns. You know, I went to get my shot, my first attempt to try to get my shot with the Jefferson County Health Department and the Arvada Fire Department a, a few weeks ago. You know, I had an appointment, I had a confirmation, I qualified for the shot, and I got there and it was a, uh, you know, it was a badly organized high school bake sale. I wound up going to, <laughs> you know, a pop-up clinic and getting a shot from a, a, a volunteer Safeway pharmacist and it went smooth. You know, people have to be their own best advocates. If you, It's like anything else. If you wait for the government to take care of you, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be sicker, you're going to be poorer, and you're going to be more confused. If the government, they had a year, Dominic, a year to put this together, and this was the best they could do. And I heard a thing, on a, a, a story on NPR, a, a site manager in Miami saying that, you know, we have to do this right at the at the street level or people aren't going to have confidence in the vaccine. Yeah, I don't think that message made it to Colorado. Uh, Joey, your your pearls continue to drop. Uh, to call it a clown show would be an insult to clowns. One of my favorites. Well done. Uh, Krista, what do you think of the Summit County officials case? I mean, here's a county that clearly they saw a lot of people coming in for spring break, things like that. But they've also pointed to other uh, tourist-centric counties who saw their numbers go up and then come back down. Do they have a case to, to tell the state health department to ease off before le- uh, switching to level orange? Of course they have a case. And I, you know, I'm a big advocate of breaking the rules. If the rules don't make sense, break them. There may be a penalty to that, but you got to do what you got to do. I've been vaccinated now for some time. I will give a shout out to Jeffco County Schools who got all of their teachers vaccinated. And I am a, I'm a substitute teacher, I'm proud to say. So I got vaccinated and you know what? I'm just done. I'm done with the, all of the restrictions. I'm done with the mask thing. I know there are people out there who are vaccinated, but they're still wearing like two, three, four masks at a time. Good for them. I'm done. I think a lot of these counties are also done. We've weathered this. And it's like Dave Koppel said, some of these governments are going to be reluctant. I shouldn't say some, probably most or all of the government officials that have put in, put in to force these restrictions have overreached. They're going to be a little reluctant to let go of that uh, that hand of power. So I say if they're reluctant, you got to give them a little bit of a push. Let's break the rules. 
Patty, we go to you on this one. What do you think about Mayor Hancock's announcement that, hey, the mandate might get pulled for folks out in Custer County, but it's not going to affect folks in Denver County for a while? Well, I think Mayor Hancock is looking at the numbers. And although Denver is nothing like what we're seeing in Michigan and some of the other places where numbers are going up, Colorado has plateaued higher than people would like to see. Denver has definitely plateaued higher for case counts than we'd like to see. And as David pointed out, it is indeed a race against time with the different variants coming out. There's no question that people are still getting sick, that hospitals are still getting overrun. Not in Denver right now, but Hancock is doing what I think we will see happen in other counties. And, of course, we have to remember Denver is a county where counties will be able to make a choice soon, maybe by mid-April is what Polis has been saying, although we're going to probably hear more from Polis on the mask mandate this weekend. But you look at Custer County, which, yeah, rural areas generally are a lot safer, but the three commissioners who wanted to rebel against the Colorado State rules all wound up getting COVID. Fortunately, they've all recovered. But we will see a lot of variations before we lower the plateau and just do what you can to feel safe. Do what you can to make others feel safe. And let's just get through the next few months. And I want to know what world Joey lives in, because everywhere I am, people are madder than they have been for the last year. <laughs> I, I think Joey lives in that optimistic world that I, I like to uh, attend as well, that we're, maybe, maybe there will be uh, less anger out there. But I get your point. It's probably not, not anytime soon. Colorado lost two very influential judicial pioneers this week. Mary Malarkey, the first woman to serve as Chief Justice of the Colorado State Supreme Court, passed away this week, as Gregory Scott did, Colorado's first and only black Supreme Court justice. Malarkey's legacy includes the longest tenure as Chief Justice in Colorado history and spearheading the Ralph L. Carr Colorado Judicial Center. Scott's legacy is also significant in Colorado as he participated in over 1,000 legal opinions while a court justice. Joey, we start with you on this one. What was the reaction from uh, uh, politicians and other folks you spoke of losing both these pioneers this week? Well, you know, first I'd say to Patty, you know, it's been 86 days since the last insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. So I think things are calming down. You know, Mary Malarkey, I think it's almost fitting that she would leave us at the end of Women's History Month because she definitely fit fit that bill. You know, she's their longest serving Supreme Court justice. You know, there are people in Colorado that I think of as timbers. You know, they're strong and and tall over a public Mary Malarkey was a timber. She was beloved and humble. You know, she led with character and compassion. And and we could use more of that kind of leadership in our state right now. You know, we also lost Gregory Scott this week, you know, our, our, our first black justice on the state Supreme Court. And, you know, more than that, he became a Supreme Court justice at age 49, which at the time was their youngest Supreme Court justice. And I think we need to think about that lesson, that we need to consider youth as a part of the diversity of our bench, because, you know, in every facet of our life, I think we need to reflect who Colorado is today, not who it used to be or who we wish it were. Let's be Colorado, Colorado. Chris, as you look at the, the, the huge legacies both of these justices left behind in Colorado, what stands out to you? Well, I'm so impressed with both of these individuals. Justice Malarkey and Justice Scott both became justices at a time when there weren't a lot of black people on the bench. There weren't a lot of women on the bench. So they're pioneers. pioneers. They broke through a ceiling and then laid a groundwork for the rest of us to be able to succeed. So if you look at the Supreme Court or the both the U.S. Supreme Court, but also the Colorado Supreme Court, you see women and men. If you look at our delegation to Congress, you see women, men, 
uh, people of color with with uh, Congressman Neguse, we've got a, a great deal of diversity there. And that was not always the case. There was a time when these bodies were made up exclusively of men. And that's not to say anything bad about those men. I'm just glad that the doors open for more people. The, the irony though, is that, that even though we see women on the Supreme Court, on the both the US and the Colorado Supreme Court, there's also been revealed lately by, uh, by the Denver Post and other journalists that there's been a, quite a bit of, of sexism and toxic environment in the Colorado judicial system. So that says to me that even though we recognize the work of these great pioneers, there's still work to be done. Patty, you and I both get the honor of driving by one of Mary Malarkey's biggest legacies, which is the Ralph L. Carr Judicial Center. It's a, an incredible building, and I don't think people understood that the Colorado Justice uh, branch, the judicial branch didn't have the kind of resources it did before that building was the way it is. Uh, what do you think will make some of the bigger headlines we talk about the legacies of both of these pioneers? Well, first I have to argue with Joey again, because right <laughs> as we sat to film this, there was an attack on two Capitol policemen who were injured. So unfortunately, people are still mad. We are not mad, we're sad about the loss of these two people who were really great jurists, showed what a sea change the court was going through at the time. Mary Malarkey was um, responsible, really helped bring more power, bring more money, did not help bring more sex harassment, we hope, to the court, but Krista has a very good point there that we need more transparency. Um, but these two were very great jurists. And one of the things about the last year is we haven't been able to celebrate so many important Coloradans that we've lost. They've just kind of disappeared during COVID. So these people should rightly be honored now. David, you're a steam lawyer at the table. I'm sure you have a lot of historical background in both of these giants. Uh, what's your take? Uh, my basic take is that uh, behind every great woman is a great man. So let's also appreciate uh, Tom Corson, uh, Mary Malarkey's uh, husband, who uh, worked very hard in um, supporting her, I'm sure, throughout all, all her career. But even also after she retired and she was uh, having health problems, was a, a really loving and caring guy. And uh, also uh, was a, a fan of this show. So uh, thank you, Tom, for watching. Eight more bills tied to the proposed $700 million stimulus plan were introduced in the state legislature this week. Among the topics addressed in the bills were infrastructure, rural economic development, and agricultural development. The bills currently carry bipartisan support throughout the legislature. Krista, we start with you on this one. Uh, bipartisan support, and it's still there. I mean, these bills, the, the idea came up a couple weeks ago when we talked about it, but the bills are coming up, the actual rubber hitting the road, and there's still support for it. Do you think there's a chance there might be some bipartisan agreement this year at the Colorado legislature? Well, of course there will be. There's one thing that bipartisan, the most bipartisan thing in the world, actually, is spending money. So there's money to be spent. You're going to see legislators on both sides of the aisle eager to spend that money. And here's the strange irony. You've got a government, and in this case, it's mostly Democrats, but even some Republicans who really wanted to put the brakes on the economy, put in all kinds of overreaching restrictions that have slowed down our economy and made for, for greater unemployment and other problems. Now we have to spend money to fix what they broke. I think you're going to find that there's quite a bit of bipartisanship, though, when it comes to spending the money. We've seen the bipartisan, but do you think there's any fireworks when we get into the details of these bills? Well, certainly we'll see fireworks before we're done. But first, we will see bipartisan. It's easier to spend money you weren't expecting. So especially for rural Colorado, where 
small towns where the farms, agricultural, I think we will see those go through without a lot of fights because these are areas of the state that have felt ignored for a long time. They are clearly in need, so we will see some of that. I think that this is also an opportunity. We will see some road work done. Everyone agrees when you talk about infrastructure, we definitely need some roads. There's an opportunity for people to agree. After that, of course, there will be fighting. There will be fighting everywhere. And even in the rural area, uh, the cities like Denver, which is about to get a big influx too, Denver is going to be looking for a piece of this. So after a little kumbaya, there will be fighting. David, is there any hope here that there's some modeling of how this bipartisan uh, success came to be that that could actually be applied to other situations? If they tried, it's, it's there. There's a model there, but I don't know if the... the the, the, the urgency is there. What do you think? Oh, uh, we've got the model established by Congress for the, the past, for this in, entire century, which is spend money you don't have and uh, ruin the, the next generation's uh, economy. Um, the, the Colorado, by our Constitution, has to have a balanced budget. So all of this spending is not going to be larger than the, uh, there, there won't be any borrowing or, or deficits. Uh, to pay for it. But remember, a lot of this money is coming from the federal government, which runs trillion-dollar deficits. We now have the size of the federal deficit is larger than the entire gross domestic product of the United States. That's the kind of thing that used to happen uh, in World War II, fighting a war for national survival. Now we're just doing it to, to pay for everybody thinks they've got free money, zero interest rate. It, it was started with Bush. It got worse under Obama. It got worse under Trump, and now it's getting worse under Biden. This country is on the road to fiscal collapse. So enjoy all the fun now from the spending because it's going to cause a catastrophe and uh, sooner rather than uh, 50 years from now. Joey, we go to you for your uh, rosy update. Is it as all uh, rosy bipartisanship at the Capitol as reported? Oh, yeah. You know, it's just like it's just like everybody said. You know, the one thing that people can agree on is spending money. You know, the only question is how fast can they spend it? You know, the second question is how do we figure out this shell game? But the real question should be is how are we going to pay it back? And nobody's talking about that. You know, we've got money left over from last year. We've got money coming in from an economy that's turned out to be stronger than they thought it would be or the projections thought it would be. And now we've got a rich Uncle Sam leaving us all this money. So let the good times roll. But, you know, the fiscal conservative in me says somebody has to pay for this party and somebody's going to have a hangover. And and Dave's right. It's going to be the next generation that has the headache. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Patty, please start us off. I've been talking about the bashing of Dominion and the accusations of election fraud since about the minute the election ended in November. Now we've discovered that we have Denny Moore, who is the chairman of one of our redistricting committees. You know, everyone was very organized. We voted for these amendments so that we could get these committees working and organized. And if you look at his previous social media comments, not what he's saying right now, but he is saying he didn't believe the elections were fair, that they were rigged. Let's hope he does a better job and doesn't rig this redistricting project. David. If Eric Sonderman were here, he would be saying something optimistic about the opening opening of the Colorado Rockies baseball season. Folks, how many times have you been down this road every year from this show? Don't believe it. I join your cynicism in that one, uh, uh, David. Joey, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Well, 
you know, I want to look north to Minneapolis, but I think that situation is just too heartbreaking. So I'm going to say Matt Gates, the, re the representative from Florida. He is the Florida man among Florida boys. He, you know, he's a disgrace to his parties, disgrace to Congress. If these accusations turn out to be true, and at this point, it's hard to say there's not fire under that smoke. So Matt Gates, congratulations for embarrassing Florida. High bar he's, he's shooting for there, Joey. It's well done. Uh, Krista, we go to you for your Disgrace of the Week. So my Disgrace of the Week goes to uh, to all those angry people, the, the cancel culture people, the people who want to silence others, the angry Twitter types. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I just want to say one thing. Work a little bit on your spelling and syntax and also read the column before you comment. Actually, people thinking through things before they say, and they thought I was the optimist, Krista. Uh, well said. Let's get to say something nice. Patty. I can't say that the Rockies are going to play well this season, but I went to opening day for a while, and I have to say just the optimism of a beautiful April Fool's Day, seeing people downtown again, seeing people going to the restaurants, hanging out on the patios, whether or not they were going to the game. The people at the game were pretty funny, too. Talk about mad. They are mad at the owners, but they still went to the Rockies game to cheer the players they do like. So it was a great day looking at how Denver could reawaken. David. A mass shooting attempt at a shopping mall in Tulsa this week was stopped by the intervention of a good citizen with a concealed carry permit. Uh, of course, that's not, not national news. You never heard of that uh, any, anywhere other than in the Tulsa uh, newspaper. But it shows that, that guns in the right hands are an important contributor to public safety. Joey, we go to you for your Say Something Nice. Well, I was hard on legislators crafting a transportation plan in my column yesterday. But the fact is, we talk and we talk and we talk about addressing transportation in this state. And now we have a plan that's almost on the table. The bill hasn't been dropped yet. But give, give, give credit where credit is due to House Speaker Alec Garnett and, and Senate Majority Leader Steve Finberg. You know, gridlock is for losers, and these two gentlemen aren't losers. Krista, wrap it up for us. Yeah, the folks at the at the state and also the legislature are looking at a change to the Colorado foster care system where kids could re-enter the foster care system up until the age of 21. Right now they can stay until they're 21, but often they'll leave at 18, maybe like a day after they're eligible to leave. Then they run into some trouble and then they have nowhere to go. So letting these kids be able to come back into the system and get the support they need is important. Think about all the kids and I, uh, myself included when I was in my early 20s making mistakes and, and having a place to come home to, a family to come home to, to be able to find new footing in life. So good for them for this, this perspective change. Let's hope it passes. And I want to say something nice about our new producer, Elle Neff, joins us officially uh, this month. She's actually just uh, learning the, the, the whole deal in our control room right now. So, Elle, it's great to have you officially on the team. And for everybody out there who's celebrating this weekend, hope you all have a wonderful, pleasant, happy Easter. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.